Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. All right. Well, I feel like I have a word for you this morning that I'm excited to share. Uh, Before we do that, why don't we pray a little bit? Yeah? All right. Jesus, thank you again for your goodness, Lord. God, you are good beyond what we can even imagine. Lord, we just invite you to come again this morning. Holy Spirit, we say once again, this is your service. Father, I pray that your words would be spoken today and they would penetrate our hearts. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are phasing out of youth ministry, which is kind of bittersweet for us. It's, uh, it's, it's bitter in the sense of we love the youth, but it's sweet in the sense that Holly and Cameron are here. And I know that they have a lot to give uh, to the youth. So I'm really excited about that. But some of the things, we, we, we did a lot of different things with the youth uh, throughout our, our journey of youth ministry. Uh, one of the things we, we did, I don't know, maybe three or four times, was in the fall, we would take a trip to the cornfields, uh, which was real special for the kids because they've never seen corn before, right? So we, we would take them to a corn maze. It's probably a better way to, to describe it. That's a little more exciting. We'd find a really cool corn maze. We'd go to the corn maze and walk around for a bit, come back for a bonfire. When I was in the corn maze, I noticed something. I noticed that as, especially if you're in a really big corn maze, as you're walking around, you start off feeling pretty good about being in the corn maze. You're pretty confident that you're going to find your way through. But then the longer you're in the maze, the, the more panicky you begin to feel, right? Especially if you're any what claustrophobic or any of those sorts of things, you just start feeling a little more panicked. And uh, especially when you're with, you know, 20 youth that uh, already are giving you anxiety attacks anyways. I believe, I believe one, uh, I'm going to tell you on you a little bit, Harry and Zach, that's not in the room. Uh, I think the last corn maze we went to, you guys actually got kicked out of, right? I won't tell what they did, but they got kicked out of it. So what's that? They were throwing corn and maybe pumpkins. I don't know. There's, there's lots of stuff happening. They were you know, they're, they're, they were almost 18 at the time. I thought they would be okay walking through a corn maze, but I was apparently wrong on that. But anyway, so we're, as you walk through the corn maze, you, you get a little bit more panicky and all of that. Well, in a lot of corn mazes, not every one of them, but some of them that we would go to, you would come into a, an area where there would be a, a small building and there'd be steps up where you can get up, go up to an upper level, an upper deck of the building to be able to see over the cornfield. And it gave you this fresh perspective of the maze, right? So you go up, you raise up a little bit higher, a little bit above the, uh, the maze, a little bit above your normal sight. And what you're then able to do is find the way out right? It's not nearly as, uh, it, it, it takes away the panic. It takes away the anxiety because then you can see the big picture. You can see what's in front of you and make your way out, right? Right? All right. I'm going to need some participation this morning, right? All right. Let me read you this scripture. Revelations 4 chapter one, it says, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me saying, come up here. Everybody say it with me. Come up here. It said to come up here. 
if we want to be able to see from Yahweh's perspective, then we have to respond to the call, come up here. If we want to see from his perspective, we have to respond to his call to ascend to where he's at, to be able to see from his perspective. There's a lot happening in the world right now, right? COVID-19, uh, all of the different racial tensions, uh, the, all kinds of the political uh, madhouse that, that is going on right now. All kinds of just things that if you're not careful, if you have the wrong perspective, it's easy to be filled with anxiety. It's easy to begin to be filled with fear. It's easy to feel like there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. But if, we're, if we maintain that level of perspective, then we're going to enter into anxiety, fear, and panic. But what the Lord is calling us to do right now in this moment is he is calling us to come up here to where he is, to see things from a new perspective, to see things from heaven's point of view. Amen. Amen. Do you realize right now that the Bible says that right now we are seated in heavenly places with Jesus. Do you realize that? Right now, it says the Bible, or the Bible says we are seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Let me prove it to you. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4, it says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were, even, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Ephesians tells us that right now at this moment, we are actually seated with Jesus in heavenly places. Where is that? Ephesians 1 tells us that, it says this, in Ephesians 1 it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which has worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So, Jesus is seated at the right hand in heavenly places. And it says later in Ephesians 2 that we are seated with him in heavenly places. Look at the next verse. It says, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age that is to come. So where are we? We are seated above every principality, power, might, and dominion, every governing rule of authority. We are actually seated above all of those things which means they have absolutely no power over us because we are seated with Christ over every single one of those things. And it totally changes things when we change our perspective. You know, we're in two places at one time, right? We're here on earth, and as the Bible says, we're seated with him in heavenly places. We are in both places, and we have a choice that we can either view things from his perspective up there, seated with Christ, or we can view them from this perspective here on earth. And I'm afraid too many times we are looking around and viewing things from this perspective and not his perspective. We are viewing things from this perspective and not his perspective. Our view of the world and our responsibility in it 
That's important. Not just our view, but our responsibility in the world is being compromised by the platforms we are choosing to stand and to view them from. It's being compromised by the platforms we are choosing to stand and view them from. We're viewing this world and the issues and our responsibility in it from the platform of our own biases, how we were raised, how we were brought up, the way we were taught to see the world. We're viewing them from the news media, their platform, which is a real scary platform, right? From the platform of social media. And let me just say something about this. Everyone in this room has probably made fun of somebody who has gotten their information from Facebook, but we all do it, right? Every one of us does it. You'll read an article you disagree with and you're like, fake news. But you find something that's in agreement with your opinion and you better believe you're hitting that share button, right? And you're letting the world know this is the truth right here. All of you other people sharing stuff on Facebook, it's fake news. But when I share it, it's the truth, right? I'm the expert, right? It's the truth. And we're viewing the world through the lens of stinking Facebook, people. No wonder why we're in anxiety and fear and panic. No wonder why we're having issues on what, what do we even do as Christians in the world because our worldview is being filtered through whatever anybody makes up on Facebook. I'll take it a step further. We're standing on the platform of our political alliance. We're viewing the world and its issues not through the kingdom of heaven, but the, the kingdom of Republican or Democrat. And we're not, listen, we're not supposed to, to I, I don't want to, I want to be careful. I'll say this, not associate, but we are, have a higher standard than a political platform. Listen, both of them are flawed. I know you really like the red. I, I like most of what the red has to deal with too, but they're not perfect. There's only one platform that's perfect, and it is the kingdom of God. And we are to be above Republican or Democrat. We have to stop viewing the world through our political bias, through our political opinions, and start viewing the world through the kingdom. Can I get an amen? amen. The problem with these platforms is none of them are high enough to see the solution. Our view from these platforms leaves us fearful, small, and helpless. It leaves us fearful, small, and helpless. It's being lost in the middle of the cornfield. You have no which way to turn. No, you have no idea which way to turn. You're just wondering, hoping that you find an answer and a solution because you're not high enough to see the solution. It leaves us feeling helpless, small, and fearful. It leaves us with the questions, what can we do in a world that is falling apart? In Leisure, Indiana, what can we do with a world that is falling apart? And again, it's producing anxiety, depression, panic, fear, frustration, passivity, and frankly, bad theology. 
bad theology. What, what happens when we begin viewing our theology through the world system instead of viewing it, the world system through the lens of the kingdom? What happens is, is we start making up theologies and reading the Bible through the lens of the world instead of reading the world through the lens of the gospel. So we have to call, answer the call to come up here. Heaven has a solution. Heaven has a solution. When you turn off the TV and put down your phone and spend time in heaven's throne room, when you answer the call, come up here, all of a sudden, hope grabs your heart. All of a sudden, you no longer feel hopeless because you are seeing things from a different perspective and it instills hope in your heart. Why does hope grab you by the heart? Because you realize that heaven has a solution to this broken world. What is the solution? Heaven has a solution. What is the solution? I'm not going to tell you. You have to go to the prayer closet and find out for yourself. All right? No, I'm just kidding. Heaven has a solution. And listen, it's not a complicated one. It's not this uh, out of this world, complicated, crazy thing. It's the same solution that has always been the solution from the beginning of time. And the solution is Jesus. The solution is Jesus. Well, Josh, you're oversimplifying it. That's the generic answer. I'm pretty sure that was good enough for heaven, right? When the world was broken, when the world was lost and broken and, and there was Pharisees teaching the wrong, wrong theology about God and when people were living in sin and depravity, what was his solution? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, the, the, even back then they were wanting a political solution. Even back then they were expecting Jesus to come, take over the government and begin ruling from an earthly perspective. And God said, you know, that, that has its place. But listen, I've got something way, way better. And his name is Jesus. The solution for this hour is Jesus. Listen, the, the, the Bible gives us two options for depravity, right? It's either Jesus or he kills everybody in a flood, right? Two options. I'm picking Jesus. The answer to this broken world is Jesus. And I'm going to take it a step further this morning. The answer, the solution to the world's problems is Jesus through us. Jesus through us. That you and I are part of the solution to this broken world. Don't believe me? Let me prove it to you. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. It says, I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. The entire universe, listen here, the entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. Listen carefully. Listen, I'm going to explain all of this, but listen carefully. Listen to the words. The universe is experiencing empty futility. Why? As a consequence of human sin. 
But now with eager expectation, all of creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were the contract, as if it were in contractions of labor of childbirth. Listen, I've I've had the experience of, of witnessing a few ladies in childbirth, and I think that's a pretty good description of the way the world is acting right now. They're groaning. They're in agony. What are they in agony for? Anybody? They're in agony for the sons and daughters to be manifested. They're in agony for you and I to figure out who we are and begin manifesting Jesus into the world. They're not in agony for better laws. They're not in agony for a better worldly system. They're not in agony for, for, uh, for here, here's one. They're not in agony for the best presidential candidate out there. Listen, I'm going to pause just for a second and say something there. I've been praying diligently that the right man that God would send would be in office, but not all my chips are in that basket. Because the answer is not the right man wearing the right color tie in the office. That's not what the earth is groaning for. Listen, we, had, we have had that for the past four years. What many of us believe would be the right presidential candidate for the last four years. How's that working for us? Sure, there may be some good policies, all of those sorts of things. But the earth is still in agony for something real. And Donald Trump or Joe Biden can't give it to him. They're not groaning for the right presidential candidate. They're groaning for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. We have the solution and it's Jesus and the world is waiting. Listen, I don't believe COVID-19 is a sign of the coming of the Antichrist. I don't believe personally that, that the race wars is just the, the rumblings of Armageddon. I don't believe the, the Antichrist is warming up right now for the mark of the beast. I believe all of what we're experiencing right now is the groanings of creation waiting for a son and a daughter to step up and give them the solution. They're hungry for something real. They're hungry for somebody just to show that, listen, why is the LBGTQ rising up? Why are all these racial battles? It's because they're looking for something real and they're grabbing for anything they can possibly get. And the answer is right in our hands and they're waiting for you and I to manifest it to them. It's the groanings of creation. The earth has been groaning from the very beginning. Listen, this isn't the first time the world has been messed up. It's been a whole lot more messed up before this. And it's the world, it's the earth, it's creation groaning for something real. It's groaning for the sons and daughters of God to be manifested. We have the solution. They're not groaning for a cooler church service. They're not groaning for the best president 
all those things are wonderful and very needed. Don't hear, don't hear me wrong. We need good political leaders. But more than that, we need the sons and daughters of God to be manifested. Amen? You can view the world's problems right now as the sign of the end of the world and hunker down and pray the pre-trip guys are right. Right? Or you can see the world's problems as the primer for revival. You can see the world's problems as the sign of the end and let's get out of here. Or you can view this as the primer for revival. In 1904, let me tell you a little story. In 1904, there was a great revival called the Welsh Revivals in Wales. There was a young man, and I say young, he was 26 years old when revival broke out. There was a young man named Evan Roberts who worked in a mine. And every day he would go into the mine and he would see the depravity of the people he was working with. They were using all kinds of foul language. They would take all of their money and instead of going home and supporting their families, they would go to the, the local pub and waste all of their money on alcohol and become raging drunk, raging alcoholics and leave their, their daughters, their sons and their wives at home poor and without a father figure. This, that was a normal, does that sound familiar to anybody? You know, right now, I think this is a side note. I think one of our greatest problems is a fatherless generation. They don't have a, 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 a father to show them how to live and therefore they're making it up as they go. It was the same way in Evan Roberts' day. They were, there was a fatherless generation. The fathers weren't at home. They were all in the bars. And so Evan Roberts saw it, and he began going home every night and crying out to God for revival. He spent 11 years of his life crying out for revival. He ended up going off to, to, take, to do some college. While he was at college, he heard the Lord speak to him and say, put down your studies and go back to Wales and hold a meeting. So he asked, he asked his professors, he said, hey, can I have a leave of absence? I feel like this is what the Lord's telling me to do. And he goes to Wales. He asked the local pastor of the biggest church in town. And he says, he asked if he can hold meetings in his church. The pastor looks at him and says, well, my church seats about 800 people. I think that's probably going to be a little big for your meeting. So I will let you have a meeting in the schoolhouse across the street. And it will be for youth. We're not going to invite the adults of the community. We're going to invite the youth of the community. So Evan says, I'm going to take it. So Evan takes the invitation. He holds a meeting in the schoolhouse. The very first night, revival breaks out in the schoolhouse. By the end of the week, they are already moved to the big church because so many people from the city begin flooding into the revival. I think, it, I think it's somewhere about six months into the revival, there was over 150,000 people that came to know Christ. Within the first six months, there's, I, don't, I don't even, I don't know, the, the statistics aren't clear on how many overall the revival brought in, but literally, it, it's, it's recorded in history that literally the town, the pubs in the town had to file bankruptcy because people quit going to the pubs. People quit 
going to the pubs and getting drunk and wasting their money. And the, the pubs literally had to file bankruptcy. It said that, that, um, that even in the mines themselves, that the donkeys that they used in the mines literally had to be retrained because they weren't using profanity anymore to speak to them. So they weren't, they weren't talking anymore or they weren't obeying the commands anymore because they weren't hearing the same words coming out of the miner's mouth. So they literally had to be retrained. It said that, it said that, that throughout the mines, that all day long you would hear worship and prayer coming out from the mines throughout and then filtering out throughout the city. The men of the city got so radically saved that at, and the mines, it literally flooded, worship flooded out of the mines throughout the city. It said that, that, that judges put on white gloves as a sign to say, we don't have any cases. That literally the court systems were shut down because there was no cases for them to hear because people became so righteous and so holy and so after God's heart that there was literally no crime in Wales from 1904 all the way to 1905. That the Wales revival is attributed to starting over 30 other revivals throughout the world. 30 other revivals can, can trace their roots all the way back to the Wales revival, including, if you know your revival history at all, including the Azusa Street revival in California. This amazing, beautiful revival from a man who realized that the world around him was waiting for the manifestation of a son or daughter of God to reveal himself. 26 years old. And he started one of the greatest revivals known in human history. Because he stood up. He came up to heaven. He got a heavenly view and said that I have an answer for them. And he shared that answer with them. Let me read you something else from the Wells Revival. I keep this in my office to remind me to look from a heavenly view. This is from the Welsh Revival. It's, this is from several eyewitnesses that were there for the Wells Revival. It says this. It says, it is ever the darkest hour before the dawn. The nation always seems to be given over to the evil one before the coming of the Son of Man. The decay of religious faith, the deadness of the churches... The atheism of the well-to-do, the brutality of the masses, all of these, when at their worst, herald the approach of the revival. Things seem to get too bad to last. The reign of the evil one becomes intolerable. Then the soul of the nation awakes. Things seem real dark right now. Things seem out of control right now. And again, we can look at that and panic. We can look at that and be filled with anxiety. Or we can come up to a heavenly view. And we can see it as the primer for revival. Listen, I believe with all of my heart, with everything in me, that revival, one, has already started in some ways. But the greatest revival in human history is not behind us, but it's right on our doorstep. And church, we will miss it if we don't get a higher perspective. We will miss it if we don't get in heaven's throne room and begin viewing things from a heavenly perspective. 
But me personally, I refuse to miss it. I refuse to miss the call to come higher. I refuse to ignore the groanings of creation that is an agony asking for a son and a daughter to step up and to be revealed and to manifest Jesus to this world. I believe with all my heart, revival's coming. If anybody in the room agrees with me, let me hear you say amen. amen. Revival is not behind us. Revival is before us. It's right on our doorstep. It's right on our doorstep. We were praying. I'm going to end with this. We were praying the other night on a Wednesday, our Wednesday night prayer. And of course, it was powerful like usual. And the Lord was speaking. And, and I heard as we were praying, I heard a quote that my dad has quoted to me hundreds of times. My dad loves history. And so he, and he loves this quote. It's from, uh, from Pearl Harbor. When was Pearl Harbor? Anybody? 1941. 41? There we go. 1941 in December 7th, you said. This was a quote from Pearl Harbor. The, the general, the admiral who uh, orchestrated the attacks on Pearl Harbor. His name was Admiral. Oh man, I, I had it. Let me get it. Here we go. It was Admiral Yamato. Admiral Yamamato. Something like that. <laughs> we'll call him a, a kung fu fighter guy. So the general who orchestrated the attacks on Pearl Harbor. It's, it's, it's said that he wrote in his journal after the attacks, it's this quote, let me, let me read it so I can get it right. This is the quote that he said, after the attacks of, of Pearl Harbor, their victory at Pearl Harbor, this is what the admiral said. He said, I fear all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible resolve. I fear all we have done is awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. And right now I can hear in the pits of hell, a demon walking up to Satan and say, COVID-19, I fear all we have done. All we have done is awakened a sleeping giant and filled him with a terrible resolve. You see, all the things happening in the world right now is going, I believe, is going to awaken the sleeping giant of the church and fill them with a terrible resolve. And we are not at the end times. We are at the beginning of the major, the biggest revival the world has ever seen. He's awakened the sleeping giant. And to see that, we have to hear the call, come up here. We have to go to the throne room. We have to spend our days not in the news, not on our phones, but our days in the prayer closet. And when we do, we will hear the solution from heaven. And the manifestation of the sons and daughters will come and manifest on the earth. And the creation that is groaning will see the truth. And will see what they've been hungering for all the days of their lives. And we will experience the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit the world has ever known. I believe it's coming. And I believe we are part of that solution. I believe we are part of that solution. Amen? Let's pray right now. Stand up with me. Jesus, I believe that all that has happened right now, all it has done has awakened the sleeping giant of the church and filled it with a terrible resolve.
God, I pray right now for this congregation that we would have a grace to see things from the heavenly throne room. That we would have a grace to see things from the seated place we have in Christ in heaven. God, that you would begin drawing us to the secret place. That you would begin drawing us into the throne room. Just as Evan Roberts was drawn into the throne room and began praying over and over again, agonizing in prayer for revival. God, that you would give us a grace to agonize for revival. God, that we would trade complaining for prayer, Father. God, that we would trade complaining for speaking life and prophetically speaking into this generation, Lord. God, that our mouths would be rinsed out, God. That our tongue would not be used to tear down and to slander. Our tongues would not be used to bring about just corruption and devastation. But instead, it would be used to prophesy the awakening of an entire nation and world. God, we ask that for a grace to see things from heaven's perspective. This morning, we hear the call come up here and we heed to it, God. We say yes to it. Father, we will come up to where you are and begin viewing the world through your eyes, through the, through the heavenly eyes, through the kingdom, through the throne room, Jesus. God, and with that, I believe there's going to come a measure of peace beyond what we could ever imagine. There's going to come a measure of joy. God, that, that where we have been anxious, where we have been disappointed, where we have felt like there was nothing we can do and become passive. Father, it's going to be replaced with a terrible resolve to see the nation come to know you, Jesus. God, what was, what was once fear is now going to be peace. What was once anxiety is now going to be joy. What was once passivity is now going to be resolve. Father, Lord, as we set our eyes higher, Lord, we will begin seeing these problems not as, not as something to fear, but we'll begin seeing these problems as, as an opportunity for an outpouring. Father, we just, we just say this morning, we declare, use us, Jesus Use us. Father, use our sphere of influence. Use our voices. Use our relationship with you. Father, use us. God, we cry out this morning. Use us to be part of the solution. God, we don't want to hunker down and hide in the church. God, we want to be used to be a part of the greatest revival in, in the world's history. God, we are desperate for you to use us. We are longing for you to use us. I wasn't going to do any kind of invitation this morning, but I just feel in my heart this morning that we need a response. That cry, use us. If that is your cry, if you want to, if you want to participate. If you want to participate in, in, in this great revival that I believe the Lord is going to manifest, then I want to invite you to step up here with me. Just go ahead and come up here with me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, our cry this morning is to use us. We are willing vessels, Jesus. God, I pray this group of people right here, God, would be graced with the manifestation of miracles. 
God, that when they lay their hands on the sick, they will see them recover. God, when they cast out demons, the demons will flee. Father, when they pray for those who are mentally unstable, they will be put in their right mind. God, I pray for the manifestation of miracles to be on each and every person in this building in the name of Jesus. That signs, wonders, and miracles will follow those who believe. God, I pray that, that the prophetic gift would be on, those, on the lips here this morning. Jesus, that out of their mouth, they would speak the words of God to those in their communities, to those around them. Father, that they would begin to speak with the words of God. That prophetic utterances would come out of their mouth. Father, that they would have words of knowledge come just into their minds for those around them, Father. God, that you would grace us with the gifts of the Spirit. God, let us be effective for the community around us. We are willing vessels, Jesus. We are willing vessels. Father, I, I prayed this a lot recently, but I'm going to keep praying it. God, I pray that you would release a hunger for the secret place. God, that you would release a hunger to pray and to seek and to fast and to come diligently before you. I, I've, I've been reminded so often of what Matthew had shared from the Lord a few weeks ago, that we, we want a lifestyle that is, that is full and that is, that is fat and that is rich, but we are unwilling to live the fasted lifestyle. God, I pray that you would give us a grace to live the fasted lifestyle. God, that our needs, that our desires, that our wants would come from one source, would come from one source, and that is communion with the Father. God, and as we approach you in the secret place, as we go through the veil of your flesh into the throne room, I believe that we will be given a heavenly perspective. As we answer the call, come up here, you will give us a heavenly perspective. God, and we say yes to it. We say yes to it all, Jesus. Use us, Holy Spirit. Use us, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Let's just take a moment and from your own mouth this morning, begin praying to the Father. Begin asking Him to use you. Begin asking Him what, what it would be that He would have you to do. Begin asking Him for your community. Begin asking Him for your coworkers. Begin praying right now from, for, for a heavenly perspective. Go ahead and just do that right now. with this right here. The rest of this scripture, it's not on the board because I wasn't planning on reading this, but I want to end with this. So the earth is groaning for the sons and daughters of God. But I love 
the next verse in chapter 23. It says, and it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters. It's not just creation longing. Those of us who have experienced the first fruits of the Spirit are longing for the fullness of the, of the Spirit to be given to us. So Father, this morning, God, once again, we just say we are longing for the fullness of the Spirit on your sons and daughters. Manifest yourself on us this morning. We say yes to it, Lord. We say yes to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can all be seated.